Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Jonah, truly the most, one of the most hilarious books in the Bible. It's meant to be funny and provocative and to capture our imaginations, which is why we all know the story from our Sunday school days. The book is from the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, and it's only four chapters long. It is, of course, not a historical document, and even the first hearers of it knew that it was a rollicking fable. My friend Tom from seminary likes to have it performed reader's theater style, preferably in a crowded bar with a pint of stout. He assigns parts to various people and then they perform it, and he always makes sure to assign the part of God to a woman, and he adds in a few oives so that God comes off sounding like a Jewish mother. And truly, it seems that God is having a bit of fun with our intrepid anti-hero, Jonah. Jonah, well, he's a bit of a depressed, sullen curmudgeon. Tom also writes for a weekly Bible commentary, and he told me that one of his fellow writers, a black woman, put these words into God's mouth. Jonah, I'm going to put you in the whale. You having a moment. So today we'll be reading selections from the last two chapters, uh, but to bring you up to speed on what has been happening, the word of God has come to Jonah, telling him to go at once to Nineveh, the city full of evil and wickedness, and tell them to repent to turn from their ways, or God would destroy them. And Jonah, while well being Jonah, says, no way, Yahweh. Instead, he books the next boat in the exact opposite direction to Tarshish. Well, we all know what happens next. God causes a great storm to arise, and the sailors throw Jonah overboard, where he is swallowed by a great fish, or a whale, as legend has it. In the belly of that fish or whale, Jonah gets a timeout to contemplate the direction his life is taking. Finally, the fish vomits out our intrepid hero on the shores of none other than Nineveh, smelling of fish chum. As an aside, my friend Tom loves to tell the story about our seminary days that he says he, one day he was at Jimmy's Woodlawn Tap, the famous local drinking hole in Hyde Park, when someone bet someone else that he could find the word beer in the Bible. Of course, fortified by said beer, a Bible was called for and the word beer was found. The surprising thing, of course, was that the word beer uh, wasn't that the word beer was in the Bible. The surprising thing was that someone could find a Bible in Jimmy's Woodlong Tap. <laughs> but I digress. You can also find the word vomit in the Bible as well. I reached, when I reached out to Tom about this Jonah ser uh, sermon, he dared me to use the word uvula in it, but of course I told him I couldn't do that. So the fish spews Jonah onto the shores of Nineveh, and that is where our passage begins. 
The reading this morning is taken from the book of Jonah from chapters 3 and 4. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, this is not what I said while I was still, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from punishment. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, Yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor, and which you did not grow, it, became, it came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, whose ways are not our ways, we come to you this morning wanting a word of justice, but also a word of mercy. So startle us this day with your truth that we might hear the word you have for us. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Last week, I mentioned that in confirmation class a couple of weeks ago, we did an object lesson about justice. We gave each of two groups uh, the exact same number of Legos and asked them to construct a tower. What they didn't know was that one of the group's Legos were three times the size of the other groups. It's not fair, they all said. Of course it wasn't. And as we all know, or as your mother probably told you, sometimes life isn't fair, but we all want it to be. We want to be rewarded for doing the right thing, and we want others to be punished for doing the wrong thing. It's kind of hardwired into us. We want justice. That is an important, good thing. But what about mercy and grace? Aren't they important too? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So how do we balance 
those two important ideas, justice and holding wrongdoers accountable on the one hand, and the ethic, the very important ethic of love and mercy and second chances on the other. Those two traits we trust God for, and in turn, God trusts, entrusts us with. How do we make sense of them? How do we balance them? We often want God... We often want God to be in the accounting business, which, by the way, she is not. We want God to punish our enemies for all the things they do wrong and to give us mercy when we just occasionally mess up a bit. As our country devolves into deep divisions, especially in this divisive election year, with folks on either side demonizing the other and taking delight in each one's comeuppance, that's what I meant, as, as Israel targets an entire region for the actions of a few, and when vengeance and retaliation only seems to beget an escalated escalation of violence, we are living, I think, in a, a season of outrage. Unfortunately, I think we've become um, a people of schadenfreude. Schadenfreude is a German word that describes taking delight in the suffering of others, especially one's enemies. It so describes, I think, the tenor of our national discourse. We are so sure of our rightness that we lose touch with the real people underneath our outrage. Here's where Jonah comes in. Jonah, who hated the Ninevites and wanted nothing to do with them, who wanted nothing more than to sit on the hillside to see the fireworks, to see them pay. Well, Jonah is confounded by God and God's mercy and grace. I feel like the story of Jonah, Jonah is most applicable today. And so I'd like to offer a retelling, a modern retelling, if you will, of this parable, with thanks to my colleague, John Edgerton. You see, God's word came to the village of Glen Ellen, to the prophet Joni, let's call her. And the Lord said, Joni, get up and go to the land of Spokane, Washington and proclaim there against the white supremacists and the white nationalists spreading hate in that place, for their wickedness has come before me. And so Joni got off her couch, and she went to the airport, and she bought a one-way ticket to Miami, Florida. <laughs> but while the plane was making its way to Miami, a great turbulence overtook it. And the plane shook so violently that the crew feared that the plane would break apart. And so they had to make an emergency landing in Atlanta. And when they flew out the next day from Atlanta, another storm arose, and they were diverted to Houston. And when they flew out the next day, another storm arose, and they were diverted to Los Angeles. And they had to fly out the next day, and another storm arose 
again. And they were diverted and made another emergency landing. Three days, three days Joni was, had already been in the belly of that aircraft. And when she deplaned, at last she found herself in the airport of Spokane, Washington. And the word of the Lord came a second time and Joni and said, Joni, get up and go into Spokane and proclaim against the people who are spreading hate in that place, for their wickedness has come before me. So Joni picked up her bag and went and got the airport shuttle and went downtown and stood in front of a crowd of white men, proud boys and neo-Nazis, who were all waving their Confederate flags and wearing Peppy the Frog t-shirts and hoodies that said six million wasn't enough. And Joni cried out to this crowd, just a few more days and the whites and white supremacy will be overthrown. And here's where the story gets even weirder. They believed her, every single one of them, and they had a change of heart. They immediately deleted their parlor accounts. They stopped their violent ways. They vowed to deal with their systemic racism. They publicly apologized to people of color and to LGBTQ people that they had been terrorizing for years. I've even heard it said that they agreed to stop dissing Taylor Swift and, Tra and Travis Kelsey. They repented in sackcloths and ashes even the animals wore sackcloths. I love that image of little dogs and cats in sackcloths. And God, well, the God of both justice and mercy, God changed God's mind. God did not destroy them. Now, Joni saw all of this, and she was angry. She was truly miffed. And she stalked outside of Spokane, Washington, and sat down on a hill and prayed, God, this is why I didn't want to come here in the first place. I knew you were a compassionate God, full of grace and mercy, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I knew you wouldn't punish those wrongdoers. What I really want to, is to see these people suffer as they have made other people suffer. Is that not justice? To return like for like? Is that not balancing the scales? And God said to her, Oy vey, Joni, are you angry? Yes, Joni says, angry enough to prefer the path of death rather than the paths of life. I'd rather die than for my enemies to be spared and shown mercy. And God said again, Oy vey, should I not care about these countless ones, those millions who have been led astray, who do not yet know their right hand from their left, those who do not know what is right from what is wrong, those who do not yet know what is the truth, and what is a lie. A retelling of the book of the prophet Jonah. 
I feel like the book of Jonah is spot on for us with what is going on in the world today, this very week. It seems to be directly addressing issues that we are dealing with. How do we balance holding wrongdoers accountable for their actions and the harm that they do others on the one hand, and a thoroughgoing ethic of compassion and second chances on the other? It's a balance of important goods. Nadia Boltzweber says that it's so that that's what that what is so hard about reading Jonah is I have to look at how maybe I need my enemies to stay my enemies since it's hard to know who I am if I don't know who I'm against and maybe I need for the apologies of those who've done wrong never to be quite good enough for me because being the one who's right is a comfy place to be. In the story of Jonah, we are confronted with how uncomfortable it is for God to show love and mercy to those who we don't think deserves it, deserve it. But wishing ill on our enemies, whomever they are, makes us no better than they. I mean, we all get Jonah. It's our deepest conviction that wrongs need to be righted, that justice must be served. We get that. Fairness and justice is hardwired into us. But perhaps, my friends, God is not in the same accounting business as we are. Perhaps God does not keep score in just the same way. Perhaps God knows that we are not punished for our sins, but we are punished by them. That those harms we do to others have consequences because they corrode our souls and they leave us hollow and empty. The people of Nineveh were only given their second chance after they repented, after they turned around and began to repair the harm they had caused, only after they began to make things right. I believe that perhaps God wants nothing more than for us to begin to know our right hand from our left. Maybe she wants most for us, all her creatures, what she wants most is for us to flourish even the dogs and the cats in their sackcloths. Should we speak out strongly against those who harm others, those whose policies and decisions harm others? Of course. Even Jonah reluctantly did that. Should we continue to speak out for fairness, for justice, for a society that seeks the flourishing of all? Yes, because that is exactly what God wants. God wants the same thing for all people. Wants the same thing for me as he does for you. That we should love one another and treat each other as we want to be treated ourselves. God desires for me the same thing he desires for the leader of the Proud Boys. That we should strive to live a righteous life, to be kind to our neighbors and and to seek the welfare of others, even 
even our enemies. Living in a way that our neighbor would thrive, whether that neighbor is in Israel or Iran or Gaza or right next door. That, friends, is what God wants. The book of Jonah invites us to move into the world as God envisions it, where forgiveness and mercy outweigh vengeance, where sin, evil, and violence and injustice are not defeated by tanks or unmanned drones or bombs, but through the love and compassion of a merciful God. Amen.